Well, I don't think we've ever spent $5,000 on groceries, but uh, some weeks it uh, seems like we spend that much on groceries. We're going to talk about this world of excess that we live in in a moment, uh, but first let me just kind of summarize where we've been. Uh, we're wrapping up this generosity uh, series today, and uh, I just want to thank you for your response to this. I know uh, for me, uh, we have talked about some things that have challenged me to kind of look at my own life and to ask some hard questions about how generous I really am towards other people, and uh, I think that it's done the same for you, and thank you for the stories that you've shared, and thank you for the generosity that you have uh, shown over these last several weeks, and I want to encourage you, keep being generous uh, to those around us. We have been looking at three key ingredients to living a more generous life, and you probably uh, can uh, have those memorized by now. In fact, uh, tell me, what are those three things that lead to a more generous life? They are to trust God, louder than that, come on, do good. And be generous. Trust God, do good, and be generous. Um, I thought you guys were really awake uh, while we were worshiping, but now I'm not so sure. We have also been using as our roadmap on this journey, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, I want to read that again this morning, because if nothing else happens in this series, I want the words of this passage in Scripture to be embedded in your minds. And I hope that it will keep coming back to your memory over and over and over again in the weeks and months and years to come, and it will remind you of the importance of living a generous life. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, and remember in the first week we said that would apply to all of us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope or their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope or trust in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for the treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life, or so that they may take hold of real life. And we have noticed along this journey that it is possible for us to live the kind of life that God desires for us, the kind of life that God wired us up for. We can live real life and take hold of it if we learn to live a generous life. If you were to find yourself in the southern desert of California, southern California desert, you might happen along a store. And in this store you would find framed on a wall an old note written, handwritten on brown paper. Now originally you would have discovered this note in a can of baking powder, an old can hung over the handle of a well. And if you were to take that can off of that well on this, at this desert shack and read the note, it would have said this. The pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime this pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour in about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. This well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you can hold. Now imagine that you found yourself on this desert path which takes you actually from California into Nevada. And as you were walking on this dry and dusty trail after a long period of travel, 
you found yourself very thirsty. Now you can see up in the distance this desert shack and you think at first maybe it's just a mirage and then you realize, no, it's really there. And you see this well beside that desert shack and so you head for that well. You discover this note, you take it out and suddenly you are faced with a real dilemma, aren't you? You have to make a, a choice. You have to decide whether or not you're going to take a risk. Do I follow what the note says and use some of the precious water in this bottle that could quench my thirst? Believing that there will be water, knowing full well that the well could have run dry. Do I follow the note or, or do I drink the water for myself? Do I risk pouring out that water or do I drink it myself? Do I risk pouring it out knowing that if I pour it out, I may get more water than I'll know what to do with? Or I may end up with nothing. It's a choice, isn't it? And here's the truth about generosity. Generosity is always a choice that requires action. Generosity is always a choice that requires action. And there is some risk involved at times. You see, to get water out of Desert Pete's pump, you had to risk something. You had to act. You had to give away what you had. And to get God's greatest blessings in our lives, we have to be willing to act. We have to be willing to risk giving ourselves and our resources away so that God can pour out His richest blessings on us. Generosity is always a choice that requires action. We have to determine whether or not we will daily make the choice and take the risk to be generous towards others so that we can experience God's grace. Well, as we wrap this up today, is that me? As we uh, wrap this up today, um, maybe it's going to go away, huh? Oh, you turned me off. No, it's not going to go away, is it? You want to bring me something? So as we wrap this up today, after we get over the microphone problem, Oh, got me? There we go. Dan is pretty good for an old guy, doesn't he? Hey, so as we wrap this up today, I want to share just a couple of uh, remaining principles with you that I hope will continue to inspire and encourage us to live a generous life all the time. Here's the first principle. Strive for contentment in an age of excess. Strive for contentment in an age of excess. Now, I know what you're thinking. Exactly what I thought when I read, thought of that the first time. I already know that. I, I know I'm supposed to be content. But if you're like me, I need a constant reminding to be content because I live in this world where there is a constant barrage of media telling me that I'm not content. That there is something else that I need to really be content. Our uh, family sort of has a tradition on Thanksgiving that uh, on the day we take all of those ads that come in the, day, the paper, it seems like there's hundreds of them, and we look through them. Usually everybody in the family takes a moment to look through those ads. And from that we sort of begin to 
get some ideas of, first of all, there's some real bargains out there that we want to try to get on Friday, but also we sort of start to put together our wish list for Christmas, and we pass those ads around, and usually there's a little bit of bickering about, you got them out of order, and that's my stack, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But we make our list, and then on Black Friday, uh, we get up, we used to get up earlier than we do now, and uh, head out to try to really capture those great deals, and we've learned over time it's not really all that important, and so we sleep in a little bit more, and we go out shopping together, and it's really not so much about the shopping as it is the event of being together, and we shop a little bit, and we go out for breakfast together, and, and hang out during that time together. But you know what I was thinking as I was looking at all of those ads on Thursday and I joined all those hundreds of people shopping on Friday? I didn't feel very content. I started thinking of all kinds of things that I decided I need, I want, I ought to purchase those things. And suddenly there wasn't a great sense of contentment in my heart. And maybe you've experienced that too. Ron Blue, who is a financial consultant and an author, tells about a time where he gave his nine-year-old daughter a choice. Now, I don't think it was really probably much of a choice for her. He said to her, tomorrow afternoon, we can either go to a ball game together or I'll take you to the mall and give you $25 and you can purchase whatever you want. I suppose if he had had a son, maybe it would have been somewhat of a decision, but probably for most daughters, there was no choice there. It was, give me the money, let's go to the mall. And so they went to the mall. He gave her a time limit and said, here's $25, purchase whatever you want for that amount of money in the mall. And so she shopped around, purchased several things. She was a very careful shopper. The next day when he came home from work, she was sad and almost in tears. And he said, what's wrong? And as she began to talk about it, he realized everything that she had purchased was already either broken, used up, or she didn't care about it anymore. There is this constant sense in all of us where we think we need more, especially living in this age of excess. Contentment is difficult to come by. Yet listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, obviously, the love of money and contentment struggle to get along, don't they? They struggle to exist together. It is difficult for us, if we really love money and the things that money buys, to really feel content. But did you catch what Hebrews says there? It says that real contentment is not found in any of that stuff. Real contentment is found in God and He will always be with you. Money has a way of exiting quickly, doesn't it? But not God. God says, I'll always be with you. I'm the source of contentment. Not all of that stuff. Now, a big part of our struggle to be content in this world of excess really hinges on our battle with debt. We live in a culture in America where we have plunged ourselves deeply into debt. We are swimming in debt and we love credit cards, don't we? In fact, Newsweek ran an article a couple of years ago that talked about America's love for debt and credit and uh, talked about how we are swimming in this huge debt, but we still love credit cards. And they said Freud would have a field day analyzing our denial and rationalization that is a part of our relationship with credit cards. In essence, they were saying, we know we shouldn't be so in debt, and yet 
even with that knowledge, we rationalize and use those credit cards. We live in this culture that has for so long screamed so loudly, so aggressively, so much of the time that we have come to the point we believe being in debt is just part of life. We can't imagine a house without a mortgage, a car without a payment, a student without a loan, credit without a card. We don't know what life would be like without payments, do we? Let me ask you, how many of you in the last uh, ten days have received some kind of credit card offer in the mail? Yeah, a large percentage of us, and some of you don't know because you just don't really pay attention to the mail. But a lot of us, we've received it, haven't we? Statistics a couple of years ago said that there will be six billion credit card offers that go out in the mail to Americans in a year's time. And at that time, we were $807 billion in credit card debt. I heard about a mom whose three-year-old daughter received a credit card application. Well, the mom thought that was pretty funny, so she decided she'd fill it out. She put the daughter's name on there for a... Uh, occupation, she wrote toddler, she left the income line blank, and then she wrote at the bottom a note from the little girl saying, I would love to have a credit card to buy more toys, but my mom says no. She folded the thing up, sent this credit card application for a platinum Visa card off. Within two or three weeks, this toddler received in the mail her own platinum Visa card. We are swimming in credit card debt, and it makes Feeling content, very difficult. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. With our credit cards and our debt, we become slaves to that debt. We become servants to our debt. Now, that's not something you'll ever hear in a credit card advertisement on TV. But it's exactly what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22. It says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. Our debt, our credit card usage has a way of enslaving us. And if you're a slave to credit and to debt, you're not a servant to God probably because it is a distraction to us. And here's the other issue. When I struggle with debt, it becomes a huge obstacle to real generosity. When my life is piled over by debt, there is this huge struggle for me to really practice generosity the way that God would desire us to. Almost two years ago, we uh, did a series here at Crosspoint where we talked about several biblical financial principles. God's way of taking care of our money. And in the midst of that, we spent quite a bit of time talking about how do we get out of debt, especially consumer debt, credit cards, car payments, all those kinds of things. And when we talked about that, there were quite a few families around here that have told me their story over the last couple of years who determined, as they studied what God had to say, that getting out of debt was going to become a priority for them. And so they have been working away at eliminating the consumer debt in their households. And I say, way to go. That's an awesome thing. Uh, my wife and I, Peg and I, decided the same thing needed to be true in our house, that we needed to eliminate all of our consumer debt. And just a few months ago, we paid off the last payment and we are free of that bondage in our lives. We still have our mortgage payment. But all of our other consumer debt has been eliminated. And that has set us free. The bondage is over. And it can set you free if you'll determine to get out of debt. 
Now, I don't have time this morning to go into all the details, but let me give you some bullet points and let me refer you to a resource. And that resource is Dave Ramsey's book called The Total Money Makeover. If you're thinking, well, what steps would I need to take to eliminate debt in my life? If you'll read his book, he has some great principles that are biblically based that would guide you. But here's some bullet point things that you would need to do. Number one, if you carry a balance on your credit card from month to month, if you can't pay it off at the end of the month, then your credit card probably has control over you and you probably ought to go home today and cut it up and get rid of it. Secondly, you ought to develop a spending plan, a budget. Now, I know none of us like that. I don't like to live by a budget. My wife, if she were in here, would be happy to tell you how much I don't like to live by a budget. But if you want to get out of debt, it's vital to have a spending plan and to stick to it. Next, I would tell you, then begin the process of paying off your debt. And the first step in paying off your debt is to set aside some savings. However long it will take you, you ought to work towards saving about $1,000. Put it in the bank because what will happen in this process, there will still going to be things that break. The dishwasher may break or something like that, and you're going to have to purchase a new one. And if you haven't set aside some money and savings to cover that, then you're just going to find yourself piling more debt on top of yourself. Then make a list of all of your things that you owe starting with the biggest payment down to the smallest payment. And then start at the bottom of the list. And as much as you can, put some extra money every month towards that smallest payment until you eliminate it. Then cross it off the list and take all of the money that you were paying towards that debt and begin to pay towards the next thing on your list. And if you'll follow that simple process, simple sounding at least, eventually you will knock one debt off and then another and you can eliminate all of the consumer debt and ultimately... If you follow Dave Ramsey's book, you can eliminate even your mortgage debt and live completely debt-free. Now, why again is that an issue? Because in our culture of excess, eliminating that debt is part of the process of learning to be content and freeing yourself up to really practice generosity towards others. Principle number two. Move toward community in a culture of isolation. Move toward community in a culture of isolation. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with generosity? Let me try to explain. You see, God wired all of us up as human beings to have this desire and this need to be connected in community, to be in relationship with other people where we can do life together. And this this is a huge thing here at Crosspoint. This is really big to us that you will hear us talk about it all the time, the importance of being connected in community, of being connected in relationship with some other people that you are doing life together with. It's vital, we believe, to having a healthy walk with God. But here's another piece of that. When we're connected in community with other people, it puts us in an environment where we come face to face with the needs of other people. And it puts us in an environment where we can practice generosity. You see, so much of our culture lives in isolation, in their own world. And living in isolation often blinds us to the reality that there are people around us that have needs, that need our generosity. And it doesn't put us easily in an environment where we can practice generosity. And so if we really want to practice this in our lives, it's important to be connected in relationships where we can put generosity into practice. The Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 2. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, 
if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you. And then I like these next two lines. If you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Be connected in community. Be in relationship. Because in that relationship, you have the opportunity to practice generosity. One more principle. Practice astonishing generosity in a tight-fisted world. Practice astonishing generosity in a tight-fisted world. Do you realize we live in a very tight-fisted world? And here's what I mean by that. We live in a world where generally people's first thought is about me and mine and how do I protect what's mine. It's true, isn't it? Isn't our natural thought often about me and mine and how to protect me and mine? It's a tight-fisted world. Well, Jesus, as He taught, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, what we call make reference to when Jesus taught one day to a large gathering of people on the, on the side of a hill. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said some very astonishing things. And in fact, in that moment, He made several statements that if I'm honest with you, it is still to this day difficult for me to fully get my mind around what He asked us to do. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, strike them right back. Well, that's not what it says. If someone, some of you are wishing that's what it says. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, then you sue them in court also. No, that's not what it says. It says, let him have your cloak as well, another piece of clothing. If someone forces you to go one mile, sit down halfway through. No. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That's astonishing generosity. And it's difficult for us to get our minds around, isn't it? I mean, let's just be really honest today. None of that sounds very appealing. Because our first tendency is when someone hurts me, to seek revenge. If someone strikes me, to strike back. If someone robs me of something, to rob them back. If someone hurts me in some way, my first inclination isn't, well, let's be generous towards them. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, as much as I may not like it or it may seem unfair or very uncomfortable, if I'm really going to follow Jesus, then I have to do what He says here. I have to practice some astonishing generosity in a very tight-fisted world. And I have to be willing, even when it seems unfair, to practice generosity towards others. I didn't say it would be easy. But if I want to be like Jesus, that's what I have to do. Now, let me wrap up by reminding you of a couple of reasons we ought to practice generosity in our lives. And, when I say wrapping up, I don't really mean wrapping up, okay? I still have a little bit to go, so don't, don't lose focus here. A couple of reasons we ought to practice generosity. The first reason, we ought to practice generosity not because of what it does for me, but because of what it does for God. You see, being generous isn't... I, I'm not, I shouldn't be generous so people will look at me and say, wow, 
What a nice guy. Isn't he kind? What a good guy he is. That is not the goal. I ought to practice generosity so that people will look at God. And they will say of God, look how compassionate He is. Look how loving He is. Look at the fact that God hears the cries of people and responds to them. Generosity isn't about me attracting attention to myself. Being generous, the motivation for that is so that people will catch a glimpse of God. So that people will see the grace and the beauty of Jesus. It's easy for me to think that being generous is about getting attention for myself. In reality, being generous towards others is so that they can catch a glimpse of who God really is. And oftentimes, unless they get a picture of who God really is from us, they may never get a clear picture of who He is. Now, the second reason we ought to practice generosity is far more personal. It makes a radical difference in our lives. When I practice generosity, God pours out His richest blessings on me. And so if I want to experience God's blessings in my life, it begins with me learning to practice generosity towards others and towards Him. Tony Campola tells the story of being in a subway in a large city. And as he's there, he sees this crowd of people who hurry together around a man who is having a seizure. And as the crowd is gathering around him, a man who acts confidently like he knows exactly what he's doing, pushes through the crowd, takes off his coat, wraps it up, puts it underneath this man's head, and holds his head so that he doesn't injure himself while the seizure continues. When the seizure subsides, the crowd disappears, but this man remains. And Tony Campolo stood there and asked him, what caused you to move so confidently and compassionately to help this man? And that's, let me tell you a story about Bill, who was having the seizure. He said, Bill and I were in Vietnam together. And one day in a gun battle, I was shot in the shoulder, injuring myself and slowly bleeding. Eventually I would have bled to death. Bill was, or I'm sorry, Bill was shot in the shoulder. Don't tell you the story wrong. Bill was shot in the shoulder. He said, I was shot in the legs to the point where I could not possibly walk out of there. And so Bill and I stood there injured, waiting for someone to come and rescue, but no rescue copter came. And so finally Bill, with his injured shoulder, said to me, I'll carry you out of here. To which I said, no, you go. Save yourself. Just leave me here to die. Bill insisted, and so he hoisted me up on his shoulders, carried me three days out of that jungle, and saved my life. And after he did that, I would do anything for him. Do you realize this morning that is exactly what Jesus has done for every one of us? At a point in history, He hoisted up on His shoulders a broken world, and He carried us to the cross so that every one of us could be saved. And if He would do that for us, shouldn't we be willing to act generously towards others? Paul said it this way in the Bible, You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. If Jesus would do that for me, shouldn't that cause me to be motivated to live generously 
towards others. When the truth of what Jesus has done for every one of us sinks deeply into our hearts, that kind of heart is motivated to be generous towards others. Trust God. Do good. And be generous. May it be true for all of us. And may it always be true for Crosspoint. God, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for His incredible generosity towards us. And God, would You help us to live generous lives today and tomorrow and every day in the future. God, would You allow it this morning to sink deeply into our hearts the realization of the love that was demonstrated in Jesus' death on the cross for every one of us. And God, would You use that to motivate us to be generous towards others. God, forgive us that we have lived in a tight-fisted world worrying oftentimes about what is good for me and mine. God, would You change our focus forever. And Father, would You help us to focus on others. And would You give us hearts that are generous towards others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a part of our worship around here, every week we uh, take an offering and we are going to do that right now. If you're our guest this morning, we don't want you to feel any pressure or compulsion uh, to give this morning. It's just an act of worship for those of us who are following Christ in a way that we can demonstrate our generosity towards Him. So as our hosts and hostesses, uh, go ahead right now and uh, pass those buckets. Would you watch this? So that series begins uh, next Sunday called The Invitation, and it is just a very simple look at the incredible story that's found in Luke 2 of Jesus coming to earth and the incredible difference that that makes in all of our lives. And so I want to ask you, as I did last week, to do two things in preparation for that. Number one, would you join me in praying for every person that will be here during our Christmas series? That